is here today. Big Green, yes. congratulations. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be honest. A lifelong dream of mine. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy. I've been, I've been hoping to be on the podcast since I, since I first heard about it. So it's, it's really great to, to be on. Thanks, man. It's been fun. It's been a good project for us, especially during COVID. During COVID, we would come up here and I had nothing else was going on. I mean, I was teaching classes in my apartment, and you know, and then that was it. There was nothing else in the afternoon. I mean, there were virtual assemblies, but it was strange times. Yeah, yeah. I watched uh, my first episode of studying for a math test. Brooks recommended to me just like, because uh, with Mr. Jacobs, just to try to get in that guy's head. I watched Path to Follow Pod, uh, his episode. And then last night, um, I watched the Andrew Kang and Charlotte Peak episodes. Nice. So nice. I did my homework. Good, good. Well, I, I really enjoyed the Dallas Jacobs episode. I thought that was interesting. Oh, absolutely. He's a man of many layers, you know. He's of got course. a lot of interests and things that you maybe don't see in a math classroom. He's, he's one of my favorite people in the Gilman community, like, by far. Um, I, I almost didn't take his class uh, this year, but it was one of the best decisions I made in, like, as hard as math is, like having a having a guy like that, like in your corner helping you out, is is really. What's huge. his class? What does he teach? Uh, BC Calc. Okay. Um. So I was I was in AB originally, um. And then he he thought I could do it, and I talked to him, and I moved up, and uh, it's been it's been really great, you know. It's it's really hard. I'm, and it, it's it's a little intimidating to be surrounded by like people who are just super smart yeah. and and good at math, but he's made it like just so much better. Is it a small class or is it a bigger group? It's not too small. It's about like 12, 15. Okay. But like that group of kids, it's, you know, Leo Wang is in there, Brooks Kitchell, Amon Garg, um, Jerry Huang, the junior, Jackson He, they're like really, really bright guys. Now what's the difference between AB and BC? Is it just a faster pace and you get to more, yeah. I guess, concepts? Absolutely. So I was, I was only in AB for one day, uh, or two days technically. Um, so I didn't get like a full glimpse of it. But it seems like, like A B. About like like it, you just get to more in, in B C, mm-hmm. and so in I was in the the B C pre calc class, and so that was like, it was hard, but I think it covered a lot of the stuff in A B. Um, but it's it's not that different. It's I think the pacing is similar. It's just B C you start a little bit further ahead. Gotcha. So Nick, tell me about the big green because I'm curious. This is the first time we've really sat down. I. Wrote you an email, but I feel like I haven't given you a full-on congratulations for getting into college. And I know I was just talking to some parents all day for parent conferences. I know not everyone's in school yet, but it's exciting when you are in school and you know what you're doing, and especially Dartmouth is a great place. I went there for the first time a couple summers ago walking around, especially in the summer. I mean, the place is gorgeous. So what was that like? What was that whole experience like? Yeah, it's been it's been really like I mean now it's it's easy to say it's fantastic right. because I I'm like you know one of the lucky ones, um, but it's really it's really nice to be done. I know like like leading up to it I was really more nervous about like having to continue with the application process and all that. But like the day of it was like it was very hard. Like I didn't I couldn't eat I couldn't do anything I just like stayed in my bed and waited until four o'clock rolled around and then of course it's like a huge weight off your shoulders. Um, you mean for the email to come in? Yeah, for the email to come in. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was. I think Dartmouth is going to be a really good fit for me. I'm really, really, I'm super grateful and just really excited to go. Um, I visited junior year. It's actually one of the last schools I visited. I wasn't really. I wanted to go to Brown originally. Um, actually, Stanford when I was like seven, but that doesn't really count. Um, 
And then I just I visited Dartmouth, and I really really liked like the the outdoorsmanship culture, mm-hmm. and that was something that was it was when I visited it wasn't like this is the place I want to go. It was like I like this, you know I could see I could see myself going here, and then over the summer I worked at a, a camp counsel- as a camp counselor at a, a sleepaway camp, okay. and that experience for me was really positive, and I started it kind of changed the way that I thought about uh, college because that was like I mean it's it's not like college in the learning sense, but it is in the sense of that, like, I was away from my parents and, you know, responsible for myself for nine weeks. And so I thought, like, if I can make, you know, the experience something, like, close to that, right. then I'll be happy. And when I was thinking back on colleges, you know, Dartmouth was, it was really the closest to that experience with the the passion and the, the like, sense of community and then also the outdoorsmanship, which it wasn't something that I thought I was really into, but mm-hmm. it's something that I've been, like, you know, Something that's been growing on me lately. Yeah, it makes sense. And for what I know about Dartmouth is that the student body there, they stick together because you're kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? It's cold in the winter, and it builds community. It builds camaraderie amongst the student body that you're isolated, you know? And I think that's a pretty cool aspect of that college in particular, but in community building, like the isolation aspect of it is interesting. Oh, absolutely. And that's... That was something that I actually really liked. I didn't. I thought I wanted like a city college at first. I I really don't think I would enjoy it. I really I looked for like remote schools, um, and that was like what was really appealing about Dartmouth is that it's about as remote as you can get for like a you know a a big like for a thousand person school. Mm -hmm. Um, So that it definitely is something that drew me drew me in and just the closeness with each other as well as the closeness with the environment around you was really appealing to me. So I'm I'm really excited. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a load off. So what has the rest of senior year been like so far after getting in? What you get in, October, November? Uh, I heard back December 15th. December 15th? Okay. Yeah, the big, that was the big day for everybody. Okay, so it's, been, it's, it's much easier now. It feels like you can enjoy life a little bit more, right? Of course, yeah. Um, I've, been, I've, always, I've had like 10 or so things that have been in the back of my head since like beginning of junior year, of just stuff I've wanted to try out. And so I'm starting to kind of chip away at that. I really, I really like have to stay busy, uh, otherwise I'm pretty miserable. Um, mm-hmm. But I started. I picked up guitar um, in December, right right around the time I got in. Um, I started climbing. Like I, I joined the the swim team. It's been a really nice opportunity. Rock, rock climbing. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, tell me about it. Um, I'm not good at all. It's, I thought like you know being like an athlete, like, I'd be okay at it. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. And you see people, like, you wouldn't expect just dominating you and, like, doing something that, like, like you, you're struggling with way better than you, right. which it's humbling, but I think that's kind of good for me. Um, but it's, it's hard, and it's very, uh, it's, like, a very centralized workout, in the, at least early on for me. Like, my hands are, like, throbbing every time I'm done. Um, like, your hands, fingertips, and wrists, it, yeah. it hurts. It does. Um, and once you give out, like once you spend at the beginning 15, 20 minutes trying to get up there, it, it's almost like you can't do anymore. You're numb to the experience because you just don't have the grip strength anymore. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's weird because, I mean, at least for me, like the rest of my body didn't feel tired. You know, I wanted to keep going and then I would feel fine and then I would like grab the first rock and my hands just like melt away. Exhausted. I had, I had like nothing. Are um, you doing it at the movement down here in? Yeah, okay. yeah. I haven't been able to go as much because of swimming. But for the spring season, I'm hoping to, to go more because it seems, I don't know, it seems, excuse me, like really cool and uh, something that I want to pursue more. It's pretty meditative too, I think. And, and I think 
I don't know. You're you're math minded, right? You're. It seems like math. I mean, you're very good in English class too. But you, I have a friend who's an engineer and math mind, and looking at a rock wall is almost like a puzzle. It's like the Rubik's cube. It's like, okay, how do we take this route to that top rock? I think it combines a little bit of that math mind personality with the athleticism, which is, you know, not something I'm typically into, but I find rock climbing fun. Yeah, definitely a little bit. I mean, I. I really like problem solving. I get frustrated kind of easily, but that just makes it like like all the more satisfying. And there's something just very fulfilling about like kind of tunnel visioning yourself and, and you know focusing on on one specific climb. I don't, I don't know if like they'll have like V1s or V2s, and so you've got like one project and you work on it over and over and over again, and then just finally like accomplishing this one thing that you've been working towards is mm-hmm. it's really satisfying and it's doable. You know, I find the bouldering pretty difficult. So I've done rock climbing where you. You go up the wall and then you fall back down with the electrical, you know, straps. But the bouldering here at Movement is tough because even when you get up to the top, you got to figure out a way down. I'm not quite comfortable enough to just jump down yet. Oh yeah, and I I like falling a little bit, um, so I don't I don't really mind you know jumping off the top and and, and taking a hard landing. But um, yeah, boulder it's it's intimidating definitely. Um, I, I've never done it alone. I don't think I could. Um, so it's really nice to have, uh, like I go with Simon Chan, um, and he's been really helpful. So it's nice to have someone like more experienced, hmm. which it, it takes away a lot of the, like the initial fear. Yeah. Or coach, coach you a little bit when you're yeah, all, like left hand goes over there and yeah. Cause there's, there's a shocking amount of like technique to it as well. Oh yeah. Um, it, pretty much just as much as strength, you know? Yeah. I think the culture is interesting, like seeing the types of people that are into rock climbing, you know, is because people go to that wall every day. It's like uh, it's definitely exercise, but it's therapeutic and it's it attracts a certain personality, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's it's one that's like I would say a little bit different for myself, but that's that's something that I really enjoy. And like something I've been trying to do more of is like seeking out people who are different from me. I, I think it's just been really valuable for me. It was the same thing um, with with sports and, like, with, with swimming and water polo, like, finding communities of people who think differently than me or act differently than me, and they, it's just so fascinating. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've gained so much from that. But, yeah, the, the, the culture with climbing is really interesting to me because it's, it's I mean, it's a, it's a sport. It's very physically taxing, um, but they're... Very nerdy people, too, which is right. kind of cool. Yeah, And that you kind of have to be because it's like, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. It's a Rubik's Cube on a wall. You yeah, exactly. Use your forearms to figure it out. Um, when did you get into swimming and water polo? So swimming, never. I, I'm not into swimming right now, I would say. It's, oh, you're not into So you're just water polo. Yeah. So swimming, I, I never, like, properly learned how to swim. Um, even, like, as a kid, I, I mean, I, I did, like, the lower school swimming, so I could, like, survive in the water, but I never, like, learned, I was pretty resistant to learning, like, the strokes and things like that. Mm-hmm. This is my first year of swimming. I am... Um, this is your first year of swimming? Yes. Oh, my gosh. How's it going? I'm the worst. Really? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the worst on the varsity team. I will be one of the worst on the JV team. Recently, um... But actually, doesn't water polo prepare you for that? I mean, you're coming off a successful water polo season. I mean, you'd think so, right? But no. No. I mean, I'm a goalie, too, which definitely makes a difference, so I don't really do much swimming. And that was part of why I was uh, a goalie, um... Yeah, on the, on the same day Jackson Heather and uh, Max Kinosaki broke their records, I didn't get last for the first time this year. Oh, there you go. Which was pretty huge. Um, but yeah, I, I started water, I, I, I was a goalie because I couldn't swim. Um, and then I learned like kind of the most basic things 
to keep me like in the water. But I've been in water polo I, since eighth grade. Um, I used to play soccer, and then I was looking for a new sport, and Coach Vaughn really welcomed me with, with open arms, and then I just kind of got more into it over the years. And then this year, it just kind of hit me that it was all over. And I, I love the sport, but I love like the culture of the pool at Gilman and the aquatics program, I think, just as much. And I wasn't really quite ready to leave. And so even though like I, I knew I was going to be bad, um, I wanted to be around like Coach Vaughn, Coach Bala, Coach Domena more. So it's been, it's been a really good experience for that alone. And most of the same guys from water polo continue with swimming or maybe not so much? Not exactly. There's always a couple. Mason Murphy-Lank, mm-hmm. um, he, he stayed over. He's, I think he's the only senior who's, who stayed. It's a lot more um, – the thing with swimming, it's a lot more club culture. So there's kind of like two camps. You, you have um, the kids who go every day like to the Gilman practices, and then if you do club swimming, you only have to go once a week. So most of our best swimmers I like never see at Gilman practices because they're at NBAC. Interesting. Yeah, or or CGA, uh, but they like, they don't really come to practice. So there's like kind of there's a community within the community of the eight or nine or so kids who um, who go to the swim practice every day because they're not on a club team, which, by the way, is what makes Jackson Heather and like what he's done for this team so much more impressive. Um, like he's the best or second best swimmer we have. He broke the the fifty free record. He didn't, he's not done club swimming at all in high school. Hmm. It's like purely through guilt, which is like And that's remarkable. impressive because he's not getting outside coaching. Not getting outside coaching and And he's loyal to the program. Loyal to the program, which is huge. And also just like he's he's there every day. So he's with the coaches, he's with the team. You know, it's it's nice to have that guy like in a lane next to you. Right. Um but also the biggest thing is that when um when February rolls around, swimming season ends, he doesn't swim until November. Hmm. You know, he might get in the pool a couple times, but these other guys, they're swimming year-round, and they're, they're, like, continually going. He's taking eight-month breaks every single year and still beating them. Yeah, I, I, that's a great, I guess, model for the, I guess, the philosophy that you need rest. I mean, you need to put it down, and you don't want to get burnt out, and people can do it. You know, you can take some time off and come back even stronger or more committed or with just as much energy, I guess, as if you were doing it all year round. I, th- I think burnout is such a real thing in oh, sports. Absolutely, you know, yeah. if you do something all year round, I experienced this in college playing lacrosse is like, you don't get a break. And it's yeah. like, you need a little break. You need to build the excitement a little bit before you come back at something. And I don't know. We've talked about the three sport and the multi-sport athlete athlete a lot on this podcast with people and there are different ways of thinking about it but I'm definitely a big advocate for rest and time off and then coming back to something yeah I think over specialization it's definitely a problem in sports I mean the effect it has on like the performance in sports it varies I mean for some people obviously just playing your sport is gonna make you better for some people it can cause burnout but the emotional effect you know it doesn't it doesn't help you to be you know a better human mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the, the, the three sports and, like, constantly doing different stuff, I have a lot more, you know, admiration and respect for that. I think it's I, – I just think it's better for you, frankly. And it's fun, to, it's fun when you get to know other guys. You know, oh, as you yeah. said, like, every sport has its own culture and different people and different coaches. And I think it's so important for high schoolers to do as many different things as possible to figure out what you like to do and be open to new perspectives and new ways of doing things and a new crowd of people think it's you know it's it's healthy for you guys of course yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's huge so 
what else are you involved in here? I know you're busy with your sports, but you know, senior year, what else are you kind of keeping active with at Gilman? So Sunrise has been my um, my big project. Uh, and then also I'm working on my second English honors paper. Uh, I wrote one for the first semester, although I wrote it last year, but I, I submitted it for a semester. Um, and then this one is going to be a creative writing piece, so I'm, Ooh, I'm really excited about it. I like that. Um, I, I'm working with Mr. Rao for it, and I'm about three chapters in. It's looking like it's going to be actually a little longer in the parameters. I, I'm, I'm, I've gotten a little carried away with it, but I'm really excited. So what's the assignment like? I, don't, I, I honestly don't know too much about these papers. So it's the, like, the original assignment is supposed to be like you read a book, Mm-hmm. And then you write like a long form paper about it between fifteen and twenty pages. Mm-hmm. It's broadened a lot since then. Um, like nowadays, it's really fifteen to twenty pages about a subject in English. And then Andrew Kang, I don't know if he was the first, but last year he did a creative writing piece with Mr. Cheney that was fifteen to twenty pages, and that worked too. So for my first paper, I did it um, actually about this book, um, Capitalist Realism, um, and then I, I related it to to media and movies specifically, and then. This one, it's it's very like loose in terms of requirements. It really, just has to get to that like fifteen page mark and be related to English. And then there's a history one too. I think Brooks Kitchell is doing one. Yes, he talked about that. Yeah, he was on here yesterday. He talked about he's doing on free speech. Yeah, yeah, he's he's talked about it to me a little bit. He seems really excited. So what can you give us a little snapshot of what you're working on and how you're attacking this project? Absolutely, yeah. So I, um, when I when I write things. I actually I was listening to the to the episode about Andrew and it was interesting hearing his process because mine is is very different. Pretty much everything that I've ever written has been derived from like another piece of media, in that like I will I'll watch or listen or you know just see something that will like have a really strong emotional effect on me and then I'll think about that emotion and I'll try to write a piece that that captures that same emotion because that's what what it is for me is is I want my I want things that I write to make you feel a specific way. And in this case, it was um, a Frank Sinatra song, That's Life. Um, I really like it. And so the piece is uh, its about six characters. Um, right now it's New York, but it's, it's really just like a, a loose city um, around a college. And it's based off of, um, so he has this one line. It's, it's I've been a, a puppet, a poet, a pauper, a pirate, a pawn, and a king. And it's about his life. Um, Actually, Frank Sinatra's life, by the way, is super interesting. Like the, the pirate line, for example, um, his mother did illegal abortions in the 1930s, and her nickname was like the pirate. Really? Which is where that came from. He, wow. Yeah. And then he, he wrote poetry, um, and pauper, I don't remember exa- all, the, all the specific things, but huh. he's had an like, incredibly interesting life. And so the idea is I wanted to, to take those like six different versions of him and write them into specific characters in New York City. Um, following them, most of them, some of them are college students, some of them are not, um, and it's following their specific journeys, not through, through a short period of time, um, and it's revolving around this character who I call the chairman of the board, which was a nickname for Frank Sinatra. Hmm. Um, it's most similar, if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? Yes, a while ago, I'm not going to remember it. It's like loosely based off the angel from that movie, okay. so it's kind of like a mystical, like semi-real deity type character who touches them in some way in their life um, and shows them, you know, like some in, uh, intrinsic beauty in the universe even with even with their problems. Uh, I've gotten really into, like, absurdism and Albert Camus lately in the last year. Mm-hmm. And so it's also kind of in that vein 
of, you know, finding like beauty and joy in the absurd and the chaos. Yeah, you talked about that in your senior speech, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Did you talk about Did you talk about Camus in your speech too? I referenced him a few times. Okay. Um, I like I'm constantly bringing up in like my AP Spanish Lit class. Really, whatever chance I get, I love, I love talking about Albert Camus, writing about Albert Camus. How'd you get into him? Was that last year? Was that this year? And what really was it about his writing and his philosophy that interests you so much? So I start. I listened to a philosophy podcast, um, like called Philosophize This when I when I used yep. to work out. Um, and they had a bunch of episodes I liked, and then they referenced him. I don't think I actually listened to the episode about him. I think they just referenced him once, and so he was kind of in my head. And then Mr. Hubeck actually he did his uh, his I forget like a seminar on on the stranger, um, and I went by to it, and it was like it was super interesting. The way he talked about it was like really compelling to me. Um, so I borrowed uh, the stranger from Ben Cooper. I read it, and it was just amazing. Yeah. Like it's one of it's one of the books like that you finish in two days. Like you just can't stop reading it, and I really, really enjoyed it. And um, it like affected the way that I thought a lot. And then now I'm reading the Myth of Sisyphus, finally, um, and just the way that he uh, approaches the world, it um, it's been very helpful for me. Interesting. Yes, yeah, Sisyphus. I um, I wrote this poem this past summer in this master's program. And uh, we had to write a poem for this contest. And I wrote about my sister went to West Point and she had this whole experience in the military and she's still in the military. And I tried to compare just the idea of the guy rolling up the Sisyphus, rolling up the rock and getting to the top of the mountain and then it falls back down again. So I I called the poem My Sister a Sisyphus. And um, yeah, I was digging into that whole myth and that whole idea too a little bit. And it's been a while since I've read Camus. And I read The Plague, and I've read The Stranger a while ago. But it's interesting how he's so fascinating to you guys. Brooks was talking about him, and, you know, obviously Mr. Hubex talked about him too. But The Stranger is something that, you know, is is interesting for high school seniors. Yeah, I mean, he's Marceau is like a really just incredibly compelling character, I think, to anyone. Um, partially because he he can't really – like, he's – He's not a real person to me. Like, he can't... I don't think a person like Marceau could ever exist. He's, like, more of, like, the personification of, like, a, a, a philosophical concept. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, to people is really attractive. Like, he is, to me, what, like, living in absurdity can really look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, even even though, you know, by our standards, he's not a good person by any means. He kills someone. Right. Um, but still, he's, like, he's still like incredibly compelling which i think even that in itself makes it just as much just as like alluring you know yeah interesting so what's mrs myth of Sisyphus is very short right it's a is it a novel or is it um philosophy on like how he's happy at the top right or something about sisyphus being happy in this experience right yeah so it's it's an essay not a not a novel um i i'm about halfway through right now and most of it, so the, the, main, the main crux of it is that it's answering the question of, of suicide, which in his opinion is like the most important philosophical question yep. of all time because, you know, people, if, it's really the only philosophical question that people stake their entire lives on in the sense that if you don't believe life is worth living, you kill yourself. 
you know? Yeah, there's a famous Camus quote. It's, should I make another cup of coffee yeah. and kill myself? Exactly. Um, and so he, he's trying to answer that question. And the, the argument he's making, of course, is that it's not. Um, and the, the analogy of, of Sisyphus for him is that he must, like, imagine himself to be happy. And Sisyphus knows that the boulder is going to, you know, roll down the hill. He knows that his, his task is, like, meaningless and, and devoid of anything, but he's happy, mm-hmm. you know, because he's, he's doing something. Um, and so that, like, the way that he, he sets it up is there's three ways of approaching it. So the first is just to kill yourself, um, which, as he points out, is it's not really viable because it's kind of like a, it's like a moment of freedom for just an eternity of nothingness. Um, you know, you're not really proving much. And then there's what he calls, like, philosophical suicide, which is, like, to devote yourself so, like, extremely strongly to a, a religion or philosophical idea, like, like stoicism or something, that it basically transcends any part of you that's human. You know, like, you just ascribe your entire life to, the, to those philosophies. Um, and then the third, which is the one that he argues for, is just living life um, in its absurdity, um, which to him is, is the way that, that people find happiness. Um, I guess I guess that the second one, like surrendering yourself to a cause or to a group of people, is what I was maybe thinking about with this poem about being in the military. Because I've heard from my sister so much about the crap that she has to do every single day. That to me, on the outside, just looking in, you know, people at West Point have to do all of these tasks and fall in line and make their bed perfectly and put on the uniform and go out in the field all day long, and just thinking about that, I'm like, what makes that worth it to someone in their, you know, late teens, early 20s, you know, to sign up for that, to want to do that? And uh, I guess it's a similar question. I, I don't know. I, that's what I thought about when I was writing this poem is that moment at the top of the mountain when you roll a boulder up of satisfaction or happiness or pride or sense yeah, of yeah. duty, I guess. Yeah, it creates a sense of purpose. The only, I, I think... He definitely obviously sees it as preferable or preferable to, to suicide. I think his his argument against it is that it's in some ways like a compromise, and that you're taking, you know, something like the military and you're you're putting it on this like pedestal. Of, I'm gonna you know, almost almost deify it and, and work towards this idea every day of my life and devote everything to it, even though it isn't something that's like perfect or or godly. I'm going to do it because it's going to make me happy, mm-hmm. and it works. But I think he sees it as kind of like a, a compromise. Yeah, interesting. So what's next on the list after the essay, Sisyphus? Are there more Camus books you want to read? Um, so I read The Trial by Kafka, and I... Oh, yeah, I was going to say to Brooks um, Kitchell yesterday that Kafka could be next for him and yeah. for you, obviously, too. And I really, I like The Trial a lot. I didn't actually know that it was unfinished until I got, like, to the parts that were unfinished, which was, I mean, a little disappointing, I guess. Um, but I want to read Metaf- Metamorphosis. So that is, that's definitely on my list. Um, yeah, just like a lot of, um, I've heard really good things about Kierkegaard, so he's definitely up there. Um, but yeah, I, I really, my goal is to read 24 books this year, you know, for 2024. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. I want to read more this year because I, I think I've neglected it a little bit um, in high school. Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday, how sometimes it's hard to really buy into reading when your teacher, and it's just part of the process of going through school but when someone gives you a book to read and says you have to read it by this date it's a little bit it's not as freeing as if it's on your own and you're just picking and choosing and reading whatever's interesting to you 
Yeah, yeah, and I would, it's also just like, even then, in a lot of cases, you didn't have to really read the book, and that was like, I think my first two years through high school, you could kind of, I could, I could very easily get away with, you know, reading parts of it or, or not, and then you kind of get into that habit, which I actually thought your, your class helped me in that way, because that was my first, like, high school English class where I read the books, and then, like, I, I don't know, I started to get more out of it than just a, a good grade, in that, like, I really, I don't know, I kind of got it, you know, like, it was, English started to have, like, a lot more value for me, um, and I appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, I think it's just, ta- it's it's a timing thing, you know, some people, they don't want to read when they're freshmen and sophomores, and then all of a sudden, something clicks, and maybe that happens junior year, maybe that happens in their 20s, you know, maybe it happens in their 60s, yeah, at some point, you want to start reading a little bit more, because you're not being forced to, and you like it, and it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely, and it just, I don't know, it makes me feel good, like, after, like, finishing a book or, or a chapter or something, I just, I feel good about myself, which is always great, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you think you want to study English or philosophy or something along those lines, or are you thinking about other things, or do you not know? Um, so my plan right now is to major in PPE, which is, uh, like, politics, philosophy, and economics. But I don't know. I'm not really, I'm not super committed to anything right now. I always thought that I would want to do, like, something like political science and then go to law school, and that's still, like, something I'm interested in. But I, I've kind of learned a lot about myself in the last year or so, and mostly what I've learned is that I have a lot more to learn. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of interests, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to explore that in college and hopefully find you know, the thing that I want to do, because I don't think I've quite found it yet. I think that's the best part of freshman year of college is you can kind of explore and figure stuff out, and you don't necessarily have to take X, Y, and Z class. You can sort of choose what you want and you know sometimes you take a class that you never thought you'd like and it works out and you decide to major in it absolutely yeah and I'm I'm really excited it's just I think the thing that's hard for me is like I I I have like very strong interests and then sometimes it can be kind of fleeting you know I can get really into something and then six months later you know I'm on to something else you know so you're you're learning guitar right now yes on your own uh yeah like I I started lessons a couple weeks ago weeks ago which has been helpful but I originally I just picked it up myself YouTube or teacher or yeah YouTube and then an app and then now I, I go to <laughs> I go to like the I think it's called the Baltimore School of Music it's it's a little awkward I'm the only like adult looking person there really yeah like I go in and there's like like really small children coming out with the same guy and then I go in the same lesson <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I mean like I'm a beginner guitar player so it makes sense to an extent because I don't think I don't think many adults go to music lessons I think most people try to like do self-taught, which I'm I'm partially doing, and I, I like, but it it's very helpful like when I want to correct something to like to have someone to ask, you know? Yeah, yeah, and and as much as I personally would like to say I'm disciplined enough to learn something on my own, there's something about actually signing up for something and having to go to a class or paying for it beforehand and being like. There's no choice. I have to go to this. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons I, I do yoga up the street. And sometimes I hit the yoga button at 6 o'clock in the morning. And it's like, if I don't wake up and go to that class, I owe them $15 of the late fee. So you have to go, you know. Yeah. And otherwise, you might not be as motivated to do it and to learn guitar. Because it's easy to pick something up like that and then put it down. Yeah, and just having, like, this, this block on Thursday where, like, and it also helps because I have something to work towards, like, every Thursday, and someone who, like, has to listen to me, um, but, yeah, like, it's something that I, I actually really look forward to the lessons now, um, 
but it's been it's been really good for me. I really, I I haven't I didn't really pick many new things up like sophomore junior year, so it's been nice to try that again. Why uh, why guitar? Why did you decide to learn that instrument? So my friend Eddie Kahn is really good at guitar. So that was part of it. Just hearing him play was really cool. And then I watched this uh, new movie this year called Flora and Son. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's um. I think I've heard about it. It's about an Irish woman who like learns to play guitar, and her like her teenage son is a rapper, and they like it's it's a really like heartfelt like cool movie. But I I like watched that, and my dad had a guitar that he gotten for Christmas like four or five years ago, and never played it. Um, and I just I wanted to pick it up, so I just started trying. Like I learned like the basic chords, and I I just keep like I keep like wanting to come back to it. And every time now, like before when I when I was like stressed or overwhelmed, I would always write, and it would work most of the time. But now it's nice too to like have something else to do with my hands, you know, just like something that's like start writing some songs now. Maybe yeah, that's actually a really good idea. You'd be a songwriter. Yeah, I, I can't sing. That's the only problem. I gotta find someone to sing the songs for me. Um, but you haven't tried, you know. You might be able to sing. I, you watched the the talent show, Mr. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were all there. <laughs> I forgot about that. I, I the thing that stuck out with the talent show is the guy who Ryan Collins who predicted the weather. Oh yeah, yeah. that was. It, that was pretty good, but that was funny. Yeah, it's. I think he told me because he runs a lot in the summer, and so he the way he learned is just by running and then like checking the temperature like every five minutes. Yeah, and then you, automatically, yeah. Um, so that's good. I mean, I think if I was going to Dartmouth and I was learning to play the guitar, I've always personally been jealous of the guy who can whip out the guitar around the campfire at moments notice, and everyone's loving it and. If that's you, I mean, I think that's, I think that's awesome. Yeah, always, always a plus. And it's just something I can do. Like I, I do a lot better with like a passive activity, like something I can do with like my hands, mm-hmm. um, which it's just it's it's calming, which is really nice. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad that I'm like able to try because I I didn't really have the energy for it honestly last year, mm-hmm. but like, I've been trying to push myself to to try new things a little bit more and just branch out in general. I think. I've been trying a lot. To, I've been trying to be like a lot more like social, um, like this year, like compared to last year, and I think it's been really good for me. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I've been thinking about, especially with the conferences today. Junior year is what I primarily teach. I've got one senior elective, but junior year is a tough year because I think it's very hard to see outside of the number that's in the grade book and to look at your experience at the school and the teacher and the actual assignments and the purpose of the assignment because a lot of the times you're really just focused on the number and the grade and what's going to get you to A to B. At least, you know, I feel like this year more than other years, that's what's going on in a lot of my classes. And it sort of bums me out a little bit, but I can't really blame anyone because that's just the way it is. You know, I understand why students are fixated on the grade and the GPA and the next step. And I don't know, I, I feel sort of bummed out in different ways, even though I understand that in the junior year. Yeah, of course. It's also, I think, just a hard time for the tri-schools socially because you're kind of integrating people like very suddenly, you know? Mm-hmm. People who I've, I've never met before are now classmates all of a sudden. And I've, I've, I had only taken, you know, all boys classes every single year up until then. So it was it was a big change. And then doing that at the same time when you're supposed to be like, you know, locking in and, and stressing about grades. It's, it was a really weird year. It is. It is weird. It is. And 
I don't know. A- after going through this whole experience, when did you come to Gilman? When did you start? Kindergarten. Yeah. So you've been here your whole life. 13 years, yeah. Okay, so are you super pro single-sex education? Like, do you think the all-boys experience was a net plus for you? Or I don't know. I don't know how do you f- how students feel about going to an all-boys school. Yeah, I've, I think about, like, the single-sex education model a lot, actually. I think for, like, for women and AFAB people, I think it's great. I think it, it works like, and that's, I mean, uh, the testimony is most people who go to women's colleges or, or women's schools is, is generally very positive. Um, personally, I, I struggled a lot at Gilman, like, I think all, pretty much all 12 years up until this year. Um, I, like, I came very close to transferring in f- between fifth and sixth grade, and then also between eighth and, I probably would have transferred between eighth and ninth grade, if not for COVID. Um... So it was, I, I, I didn't really like the all-boys model, um, and that really didn't change until, like, I, I don't really think I got Gilman until this year, and it's, because now I'm, I'm extremely pro-Gilman. I, like, when I think about it now in its totality, I think it's been positive for me, Yeah. but at the same time, I really, I really didn't enjoy that during, during a lot of it. So it's weird, because now I, I, I have a lot of love for my, my class in the school, and I, I, I think about Gilman very positively, and I think I will. I think that'll only increase, like in, in retrospect. Mm-hmm. But during it, it, I didn't really like it as much. So it's it's hard to say, you know. What do you think it was during it that I guess prevented you? I mean, I I think it's easy to say as a senior, and you're kind of in the glory days of your experience. You know, you're in college, second semester. You're doing things you love to do. You're meeting new people. But what is it that bogs students down mostly in their freshman, sophomore, junior year maybe? Is it the focus on the grades that I was describing or a mix of different things? I've heard that from a lot of other people. I've I've never stressed about my grades too much, to be honest. Like it's never – I mean, I want to get good grades, of course. It's never been something that's on my mind. I was was always and still am to an extent like – much more concerned about like how much people like me and I think that is I think it's it's very much on the on the forefront of most high schoolers minds is is how they're perceived in their actions and I think that like I think that's the biggest thing in terms of shutting people in is mm-hmm. is we all really want to be liked you know yeah yeah I think you're right and that's why I love that you wrote an essay sort of about that last year in my class oh um, yeah yeah just straight up saying that, you know, and I was so refreshing that someone would just say that, you know, and that's what I've been trying to get out of my students is just authentic, vulnerable voice. And it's hard because you do put up walls and you do want to create this certain image for other people who are looking in at you. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because that, I remember that specifically and it was like, I could never use that for a college essay. I, and I think because there has to be some degree. There is, like, an inherent inauthenticity to college essays because they're transactional. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can never really, you couldn't really ever say something like that because there's always this, like, this little side motivation of, you know, I want you to let me in, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I still thought, like, the unit was really, and honestly, your, your feedback there was really, like, valuable for me in terms of transitioning to, to you know, like, it's, it's a messed up system, but you have to, you have to do it. Yeah, I think I said I love this essay, but I think the assignment was, it was about yeah, the yeah. college essay. Yeah. And I, I just said, yeah, I, I think that's true. You know, as, 
as much of a bummer that is, you know, you can't be totally, I don't know. You know, I, I wonder about that every day, what admissions people think and how you get into these schools now. And it's hard. It's a, it's a weird system. Yeah. I, mean, I think a lot of it's, it's random too, because, you know, people are so different. And so a lot of that is like, is, is your admission person going to fight for you? So do you connect with them personally with your essay, which is so random because you don't know this person. Right. So let me ask you, um, what did you choose to write about for your college essays? So I, I had two prompts, or two, two common app essays, and I, I like did not decide which one I was going to use pretty much until the day before um, my early decision was due. So the first one, it was like a very, it was a heavily modified version of the first essay that I wrote for your class um, about me eating a cicada. <laughs> it was just because I really, I remember I really liked writing it, and I thought like, I was kind of going in with the mindset of like, this is the essay that I have enjoyed writing more than anything else, mm-hmm. and it reflects in that like, you can tell that I really, really liked it. And then the other one, um, I talked about working as a camp counselor this summer, and specifically like working with, with campers with depression, um, and like, like suicidal ideations was something that like I, I, I specifically was, was, was working with, with kids who were experiencing that, and how... So one, one of the things that, like, we were told, because we were trained for that, like, to, to some extent, was to, to share from the scar and not the wound. Hmm. Um, and it, it's something that's very personal to me and something that I dealt with even while, like, because I, I was a camper there mm-hmm. for, for some time. So even while I was there. Um, so finding that kind of balance between, you know, helping someone and being a mentor, drawing from your own experiences, but also, you know, still making it about them. And then, in turn, how that, like, experience helped me a lot through it. Um, I ended up going with the second one. Uh, if if you can tell, on the advice of a lot of different people, mm-hmm. um, I still I still really like the first one. I think, I honestly think it's a better like writing piece. It's probably not as good for colleges, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, those those were the two main ones. And then a lot of the other the the prompt ones were I mean, just about like things that I like. And I I kind of tried to go in with the mindset of like, if I enjoy writing it, it's probably you know a good essay. I think that's the best advice. I mean, if you have fun with it and you make it interesting and it's not boring to you, like if it's really exciting to you and you're writing it, it some of that's got to rub off, you know? Of course, yeah. It's, it's when you're grudgingly, you know, putting down what you think the teacher wants and it's, you know, over-rubricized. Everyone wants a rubric in my class right now and it's like, I don't know, just have fun with it and it will rub off and it will emit that same quality of excitement that you know you had when you wrote it so yeah i'm, tr- yeah. I'm trying to do i'm trying to come up with uh, essay topics that are experiential mm-hmm. right now so seven different prompts and you've got to do some kind of experience before you write the essay so you've got to go into a coffee shop and talk to a stranger and then write about the experience or yeah. you've got to make a dish for your family or friends and write about what it was like to cook the dish yeah. was that i remember sophie gansis did something like that for her interview yeah, she went to, and I love that. She I found that to be to, fantastic, by the way. I thought that was one of the coolest prompt ideas I'd ever heard of. Just right. like talking, meeting a random stranger, interviewing them. It's something that I, I kind of want to try now. Like not even for English, but just to meet some random person. Yeah, just go talk to someone and see what their story is. And no one ever does that, you know? And uh, yeah, it's interesting. See what happens. Yeah. So, well, I'm glad you're still writing. I'm glad that you are feeling good right now where you are with college and life and senior year. And, um, yeah, thanks for coming in. Of course, yeah. Fun convo. We didn't really get to your – Oh, yeah. 
tell, tell us just a little bit about your Yeah, so it's not a very liter- like literary book. It is my favorite like ever. So it's, it's, it's called Mark Fisher, uh, Capitalist Realism, Is There No Alternative? And so the main, uh, the main concept is uh, it's asking like why it's so hard for, for us to have like large-scale economic change um, because a lot of historians have predicted that by, you know, like now looking at the changes in history between, you know, mercantilism um, into like the more modern capitalism, by now we'd be kind of advancing from where we are, but it seems like we're kind of stuck. And so he's looking at, at why that happens and why it's, it's so hard to affect change these days. Um, and the argument that he makes is that this is kind of a, it's a self-sustaining property of capitalism that, um, in a lot of ways, it, it, it exists and is very good at uh, sustaining itself. Um, but yeah, it's a it's really dense. I, I'm not. It's a hard read. It took me like a couple tries, but once you get it, it's like it's, it's mind blowing. And it like it's one of those things where it's kind of a, a filter in which you can like analyze all of life. And so like you'll see like little things. That's partially what I wrote my paper about. Um, is he talks about this concept of inner passivity which is, it's like the opposite of interactivity where um, art kind of, it delegates your enjoyment to itself. So the, 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 the best example of that is like a laugh track where uh, instead of you laughing, the, uh, the piece of media, it, it kind of takes that emotion and acts it out for you. Mm-hmm. And so what he talks about is how media can do that with like revolutionary anti-capitalist sentiments. And he talks about like the movie WALL-E, uh, for example, which I don't, I don't think this is an intention of the, like the, of Disney, but in the, in the way it acts, like it, it is a, a revolutionary like movie. You know, it's about Wally defeating like the big corporation. But because it it takes you through that character arc and it, it kind of defeats the big bad guy for you, and so you leave the movie the, the theater, you know, satisfied um, and and complacent. Hmm. Which it's it's super complicated and like again very dense, but it's it's really interesting. Um, I don't I don't agree with all of the points. But I think just like as like an, a, a filter for analyzing life, it's it's really valuable. So I'm having a little bit of trouble. Like, can you give me a specific example, like in in your life when you see this crop up in the world? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest example. So he talks about um, a, a kind of reflexive impotence in the youth, um, which is it's just like frustration with the way things are, but at the same time a feeling of powerlessness and how to change it. Yeah. Um, and that I, th- I think that's best seen in like, just like the, the the like the platitudes that like you know, obviously like you know capitalism is wrong, but there are no alternatives. Mm-hmm. You know there is no, it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. I think um, you know like people eh, people often say like something is great in theory, but not on paper. Mm-hmm. And that's it's like a. It, it's it's very common like when people talk about even our our current government situation, to act with like you know, pretty pretty vitriolic like hate and disappointment in it while at the same time like believing that it's it's very set in stone and like it is the current reality and there's no way of changing it gotcha like the two-party system yeah like, yeah that's the way it is i like we're very um like our, our heels are very dug in on everything but at the same time where we we don't like people don't nobody super feels super strongly about capitalism like i i think you'll, you'll rarely find people who are like super passionate about like neoliberalism and the current you know economic system we have in the u.s but at the same time everyone is is very you know compliant with it 
Because there's no, I mean, there's no better option. Exactly. Right? And yeah, and then the, the alternatives that we have seen, you know, it, USSR, right. communist China, it's catastrophic failures. And so there's, there's this, like, this very common sentiment of just malaise that, like, this is, this is bad, but every other option feels worse. And, like, therefore, there are no alternatives to explore. Interesting. I'd like to pick it up. It sounds yeah. like a dense and uh, intellectual read, but yeah, it sounds yeah, interesting. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming in. Cesare, thank you. And uh, best of luck the rest of the senior year. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course.